So the first step to correct your status would be, I would create something called a non-taxpayer affidavit or even something called um, political status correction. Name, correct your name for the record. You, When your name was created on a birth certificate, they think they own this. So you have to learn how to create it in a private trust. The social security number is a trust. If you look it up, Social Security Trust Administration. It's a public administration. You have to learn how to create your private administration. So you can start with a church or even um, a tribe. You can correct your status with a tribe, a church. Um, it's called the Shahada with Muslims. I'm not sure what it's called with Jewish people, but they all undergo a status change. In the Christian community, it's called being baptized. So your baptismal certificate can be also correct your status, and you can use this um, to identify in the public. Everybody go to OnlyFans.com slash Don Kalam. That's OnlyFans.com slash Don Kalam. That's D-O-N-K-I-L-A-M. You can subscribe there and get access to Don Kalam University at DonKalam.com. You can also follow me on the Instagram at D-O-N underscore K-I-L-A-M. Again, that's D-O-N underscore K-I-L-A-M. Much peace and love. You know what style that is. It's time for Dream Keepers Radio. Peace and love, peace and love. It's your boy, Don Kalam. Also known as Malik Kalam. And as always, prosperity is your divine birthright. Uh, let's do a sound, quick little sound check. Trying something new. Sound, sound check, good. Sound check, good. So peace and love. I'm not a licensed attorney tax expert. I do this for educational and informational purposes only. I want to thank everybody that's tapping in and tuning in on this Happy holiday this Friday, January 12, 2024. I'm live from Orlando, Florida. Great news that to the congregation, to the royal family, everybody that's been rocking with me, man. We keep attracting great things, great manifestations. But I'm gonna go over some news with you, man. I wanna go over I'm gonna go over some real game with everybody. Because I want everybody to truly understand what's going on with this credit. There's no reason why anybody should be denied credit. Or at least getting a piece of the pie. You should at least be getting a piece of this pie. Okay, whether it's through the arbitration process, through the credit bureaus, because this is the second step when disputing debt, all right, through arbitration. It costs you $225 to start the arbitration, $225. It costs them $8,000. So they'll settle out of court. Trust and believe me, they will settle out of court. So check this out. When it comes to the financial um, statements, you know, these, these credit reports that everybody's worried about, I can show you how to get that credit from zero to hero in no time. But at the end of the day, you want to come at this from a business mindset, understanding your name as a sole proprietorship. So anytime you want to get approved for something, you want to do something called reconsideration if you get denied. And come in the, and come into the situation with certified financial statements. Certified financial statements. So we're coming straight into the knowledge, man, right out the gate on this podcast. It's your boy Don Kalam, live from Orlando, Florida. And I want to just thank everybody for rocking with Don Kalam live and on the replay. But check this out. So a certified financial statement, what it is and how it works, okay? And a certified financial statement is a financial document that's audited inside off on by a certified independent auditor 
and is issued by an audit report, which is the auditor's written opinion about the financial statements. The audit report can highlight key discrepancies and detail of suspected fraud. Certified financial statements are required for publicly traded companies as they play an important role in the financial market. So if you're operating in the public and you're trading in the public, certified financial statements are required. This is this is law. This is their law. And when it comes to this credit game, these credit agencies, these are verified statements, not certified. There's a difference between being certified and verified. And they're not following the rules. They're playing a game with you. And you're and, and it's up to you to audit these accounts. Companies may employ internal auditors to review financial statements, but they can only be certified by an external auditor who is usually a certified public accountant, a CPA. Investors demand assurance that the documents they rely upon to make investment decisions are accurate and have not been subject to any material errors or omissions by the company that compiled them. Therefore, the certified financial statements should be clear and provide an accurate account of a company's financial performance. In the past, large problems have been caused by dishonest companies working with dishonest auditors to cook the books. Okay, um, I mean, and that's that's the game. They cook the books. That's what's going on. So there's rules that need to go um, in line and the rules that go in line with any account, because when you're getting credit, it's an account is the GAAP, the generally accepted accounting principles. And they all U.S. public companies must follow the GAAP rules and preparing their financial statements. When someone fills out debt disputes and verifies information, this has to follow the GAAP rules because this is a financial statement. Monthly statements are financial statements. Monthly bills are, fi are, are financial statements. And a lot of people are not understanding this. A UCC1 is a financial statement and it's not certified. When you go to court, they have their clerk certify it. So you got to understand when, when disputing consumer law or you have any issues with consumer law, you don't want to really worry about the federal codes and statutes when their law with accounts fall under generally accepted accounting principles. And who you're going to want to report these things to is the Financial Accounting Standards Board, the FASB. Public companies in the U.S. must follow GAAP when their accountants compile their financial statements. GAAP is also widely used in government accounting. I got to hit a blood on that one because y'all have to understand this is the real law. <coughs> a lot of people going in here. <coughs> a lot of people come in here and they're, they're not understanding. They're not understanding that these are accounts. So you have account GAAP accounting law okay this is their law this is what they have to go by GAAP and if you have any issues you're going to want to file a complaint with the financial accounting standard board the FASB so let's see what we can learn about the SA the FASB the financial accounting standard board is an independent organization responsible for establishing accounting and financial reporting standards in the United States okay so this is part of the voluntary sector so 
So the Financial Accounting Standard Board is an independent nonprofit organization responsible for establishing accounting and financial reports standards for companies and nonprofit organizations in the United States. Following generally accepted accounting principles, the GAAP, the FASB was formed in 1973 to succeed the Accounting Principles Board and carry on its mission. It's based in North uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. The, the Financial Accounting Standard Boards has the authority to establish and interpret generally accepted accounting principles in the United States for public and private companies and nonprofit organizations. GAAP is a set of standard standards that companies, nonprofits, and governments should follow when preparing and presenting their financial statements, including any related party transaction. So related party transaction. I want to break that word down. The term related party transaction refers to a deal or a range made between two parties who are joined by a pre-existing business relationship or common interest. Companies often seek business deals with parties whom they are familiar or have a common interest. Although related party transactions are themselves legal, they may create conflicts of interest or lead to other legal situations. Public companies must disclose these transactions. When you're operating with the public, um, they have to go by these rules. And that's all I'm trying to um, bring to everybody's attention right now. So the, the Security and Exchange Commission, the SEC, they recognize the FASB as the accounting standard setter for public companies. It is also recognized by state accounting boards, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, and other organizations in the field. The FASB is part of a larger independent nonprofit group that also includes the Financial Accounting Foundation, the FAF. The Financial Accounting Standards Advisory Council, the FASAC, the Government Accounting Standards Board, the GASB, and the Government Accounting Standards Advisory Council, the GASAC. The GASB, which is similar in functions to the FASB, was established in 1984 to set accounting and financial reporting standards for state and local governments across the United States. The FAF oversees both the FASB and the GASB. The two advisory councils provide guidance in their respective areas. Collectively, their organization's mission is to improve nonprofit financial accounting reporting standards so that the Information is useful to investors and other users of financial reports. The organization also educates stakeholders on how to understand and implement the standards most effectively. The FASB is governed by seven full-time board members who are required to sever their ties to the companies or organizations they work for before joining the board. Board members are appointed by the FAF's Board of Trustees for five-year terms and may serve for up to 10 years. The FAF launched the FASB Accounting Standards Codification, an online research tool <coughs> designed as a single source for authoritative, non-governmental, generally accepted accounting principles in the United States. <coughs> so, the FASB complained to them. Even the SEC recognizes GAAP laws. So, understand this. This is the law when dealing with accounts, when dealing with accounting. I really need everybody to understand that. So, the GAAP, a combination of authoritative standards set by policy boards and the commonly accepted ways of recording 
in reporting accounting information. GAAP covers such topics as revenue recognition, balance sheets, classification. The ultimate goal of GAAP is to ensure that a company's financial statements are complete, consistent, and comparable. This makes it easier for investors to analyze and extract useful information. Now, I wouldn't necessarily bring this stuff up in a dispute letter, not until the arbitration, okay? And there's more, and there's more. And and this is what I was trying to tell people earlier. And this is there's a difference between the private sector and the public sector. That's what you got to understand. There's a pri- the private sector, the public sector, and then the voluntary sector, all right? Now, everybody's caught up on the Uniform Commercial Codes. When you can use Unidroit in your arbitrations or, or your, your private disputes, and this triumphs everything. Unidroit, because this is what the government's using. This is what other private organizations is using. They're getting you through your insurance. Unidroit is the International Institution for the Unification of Private Law. United States has adopted this, and I believe in 1974. Let's see. I don't, I don't want to give you all the wrong dates. 1964, the United States adopted the Unidroit. It became a member of the of, of Unidroit, which is private. It's just like Uniform Commercial Codes. Unidroit has prepared multiple conventions, treaties. The seat of Unidroit is in Rome, Italy. Once the subject has been included in Unidroit's work program. Okay, that's talking about working for Unidroit. But they're just a set of principles. Principles of international commercial contracts. That's what Unidroid is about. I want y'all to do y'all's own research. (coughs) U-N-I-D-R-O-I-T. The International Institute for the Unification of Private Law, Unidroid. Is an independent intergovernmental organization with its seats in the villa in Rome. Its purpose is to study needs and methods for modernizing, harmonizing, and co- coordinating private and, in particular, commercial law as between states and groups of states to formulate uniform law instruments, principles, and rules to achieve those objectives. Set up in 1926 as an auxiliary organ of the League of Nations, the Institute was followed the demise of the League, re-established in 1940, on the basis of multilateral agreements, the Unidroit Statute. Membership of Unidroit is restricted to states acceding in the Unidroit Statute. Unidroit's 63 member states are drawn from the five continents and represent a variety of different legal, economic, and political systems, as well as different cultural backgrounds. This is coming straight from a European website. Now, what you have to understand, when you understand that the United States is under federal bankruptcy, right? United States is under bankruptcy. United States means federal corporation. You have to understand how they're utilizing your name. Your name, a person, is considered a business as well. And a lot of people don't understand this. They're so focused on the trust. Everybody's focused on the trust. Trust, trust, trust. At the end of the day, you the United States means federal corporation. So that's what you got to focus on first, the pass-through entities. 
They're using your name as a pass-through entity, a sole proprietorship. At the end of the day, it boils down, it breaks down to something called a special purpose vehicle. A special purpose vehicle, SPV. And to understand why it works, you got to first understand who owns the United States national debt. Who owns the United States national debt? So, do a simple Google search of who owns the United States debt. You'll come across that the Social Security Trust Fund owns a significant portion of the United States national debt. But how does that work and what does it mean? There are two types of national debt. The U.S. national debt reached the debt ceiling of $31.41 trillion in January 2023. The United States Treasury manages the U.S. national debt through its Bureau of Public Debt. The Bureau classifies that amount into two broad types. Intragovernmental holdings and debt held by the public. So the public is a holding company. Debt held by the public. So hold debt is to hold wealth. And a lot of people don't understand that. But let me continue. The Treasury owns this part of the debt to other federal agencies. Intragovernmental holdings totaled more than $6.89 trillion in January 2023. Why would the government owe money to itself? Because some agencies like the Social Security Trust Fund, this is what they call, see, call it what it is. Don't call it the SSK Trust. Because that's going to get you blue blah, bam. That's some private information. And the public is the Social Security Trust Fund. Who created the trust? It wasn't you. So quit trying to claim it. You can only control what you create. All you can do is manage the affairs. You have the worst position that you could ever have when you're claiming this name and claiming this social. You have to learn how to maneuver it correctly just like they do. They create courts. They create banks. They create agencies. So this is how you have to maneuver the funds as well. You have to keep this in mind. All right. So the government owe money to itself, to agencies like the Social Security Trust Fund. It takes in more revenue from taxes than they need. These agencies then invest in U.S. treasuries rather than stick this cash under a giant mattress. This transfers the agency's excess revenue to the general fund where it's spent. They redeem the treasury notes for funds as needed. The federal government then either raise taxes or issue more debt to raise the required cash. Now let's break down what is the Social Security Trust Fund because a lot of people don't understand this. The Social Security Trust Fund is actually two funds. Old age and survivor's insurance and the disability insurance trust funds. The OASI trust fund provides benefits to retired workers and family members of deceased beneficiaries, while the DI trust fund provides benefits to disabled workers and their dependents. Both accounts are managed by the Treasury and funded primarily by payroll taxes. And you have to understand what the tax is. All, all a tax is is an involuntary contribution. It's an involuntary offering to the government because you're playing under their rules. You're operating as a citizen for them, trading with the enemy. So all the Social Security Trust Fund is is life insurance, basically. This is what you have to understand. And you can once you learn how to create your own life insurance contracts, you can start opting out of these things and learn how to maneuver these things correctly. Because anytime you're in the public, 
and you're running, you're getting the credit from the Social Security, and that's what's adding to the national debt. You're getting credit from your Social Security trust fund. The Social Security trust fund is America's retirement fund, as well as a source of benefits for the blind and disabled. The United States Treasury Department manages the trust fund under the direction of six board members. Each year, the board reports to Congress on the financial status of the trust funds. Three sources of income fund Social Security, and that's payroll taxes, interest on excess funds held by the Treasury, and taxes on benefits from current beneficiaries. Payroll taxes are the primary source of funding for the trust fund. Workers and their employers each contribute 6.2% of their pay up to the taxable maximum for the year, which is $160,200 for the tax year. Self-employed workers pay the full contribution of 12.4%. August 14, 1935, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed into the law the Social Security Act. The law created a program to pay an income to retired workers age 65 or older. The funds for Social Security came from payroll taxes known as FICA. The Social Security Trust Fund was established in 1937 to manage the income collected from these taxes so they could be redistributed as a Social Security income. Since then, the fund has received more in income than is paid out in benefits. That's because of America's demographics. There were 2.8 workers for every beneficiary as of 2022. I could keep getting deep. The United States. So look, the U.S. Treasury must invest Social Security income in securities guaranteed as to both principal and interest by the federal government. It issues special issue securities for use by the trust funds. There are three differences between three special issue securities in U.S. Treasury bonds. And they are not tradable. They are only available to the trust funds. And they are only bought with payroll taxes. So you're buying these treasury bonds with your labor. The treasury redeems these bonds with interest to pay for benefit. The money to redeem the bond comes from the general fund. I want y'all to understand this. Because a lot of people that understand how to access this correctly. Because you got to understand, if you're getting bills in the mail, you're considered a president. So you can access this, something called the general fund. The money to redeem the bonds comes from the general fund. After that, the payroll taxes goes into the general fund where they pay for government expenditures. That's how presidents borrow money from the Social Security Trust Fund is through the general fund. The borrowed funds make their deficits look smaller. The real amount owed still shows up in the national debt. It explains why the U.S. debt by president is larger than the U.S. deficit by president. For this reason, the Heritage Foundation says that the special issue securities are nothing more than IOUs. That's because future benefits will have to come from taxes that are being used today to pay for other government programs. So you have to understand the general fund. Because everybody's trying to tap into this. But you have to understand, like, if you foreign to the government, you can get something called foreign aid. That's how Ukraine's getting money, you know? They're, they don't have no birth certificate. They don't have no, 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 um, social security number. So, 
So a, a special revenue fund is an account established by government to collect money that might be used for a specific project. And they all go by the government accounting standard boards, GASB. Even when it comes to the general fund, they go through the GASB. So you got the Treasury General Account. You can look this up. The Treasury General Account is the general checking account which the Department of Treasury uses and from which the U.S. government makes all of its official payments. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York holds the Treasury General Account. Created in 1789, the U.S. Treasury is the Department of the Government that is responsible for issuing all Treasury bonds, notes, and bills. Key functions of the U.S. Treasury include printing bills, postage, Federal Reserve notes, minting coins, collecting taxes, enforcing tax laws, managing debt issues, and more. The Treasury General Account also holds money that is credited to the government in the form of monetized gold. The U.S. Treasury oversees U.S. banks which cooperate with the Federal Reserve. Each time the Treasury makes a payment from its general account, funds flow directly into the depository's institutional account. In this way, the Treasury's receipts and expenditures have the ability to impact the balance of depository institutions' accounts at the Reserve Bank. The TGA network is a group of commercial financial institutions that receive and reconcile over-the-counter governmental agency cash and check deposits. The network operates globally. The SCCN, the Seized Currency Collection Network, which is made up of commercial financial institutions as well, specialize in receiving funds that law enforcement agencies have seized. The Mellon TGA is a depository that receives only deposits which agencies send via mail. The Treasury General Account, the TGA, program is made up of three services that check deposits and receive cash. The focus of the U.S. Treasury is to promote economic growth and security. Established by the first Congress of the United States in New York on March 4, 1789, the institution has played a key role in U.S. monetary policies ever since. In general, there are two types of monetary policies, expansionary and contractionary. Expansionary monetary policies increases the money supply to lower unemployment and to boost private sector borrowing and consumer spending. There's that word, private sector again. So expansionary monetary policies increase the money supply to lower unemployment and to boost private sector borrowing and consumer spending. Contractionary monetary policies slows the rate of growth in the money supply to control inflation. The Federal Reserve Bank buys and sells U.S. Treasury bills and bonds to control the country's money supply and manage interest rates, the money of which goes to and from the Treasury General Account. In the United States, this monetary policy helps determine the size and rate and growth of the money supply, which in turn affects interest rates. And what they keep, what's deposited is government securities issued by the government, such as bonds, notes, bills, are also deposited into this and finance government operations to pay off maturing debts. Now, special purpose vehicles, yes, let's go back to special purpose vehicles. A special purpose vehicle, also called a special purpose entity. This is created for the bankruptcy because you got to understand 
Listen, if somebody is trying to collect the debt on you, you can bring up bankruptcy law. Law. Why don't everybody ever bring up bankruptcy law? Y'all say United States on the bankruptcy, but you never say what bankruptcy law. That's a whole law. That's a whole jurisdiction. You have bankruptcy courts. If these companies are operating with the United States on the United States codes and statutes, they're under bankruptcy. So you're you're under bankruptcy law. So quit arguing codes and statutes. You're continuing to play the fictitious game. So listen, a special purpose vehicle, also called a special purpose entity, is a subsidiary created by a parent company to isolate financial risk. Its legal status as a separate company makes its obligations secure, even if the parent company goes bankrupt. For this reason, a special purpose vehicle is sometimes called a bankruptcy remote entity. So, an, a special purpose vehicle is created as a separate company with its own balance sheet by a corporation in order to isolate financial risk. It may be used to undertake a risky venture while reducing any negative financial impact upon the parent company and its investor. Alternatively, the special purpose vehicle may be holding a company for the securitization of a debt. Special purpose vehicles are also used by venture capitalists to consolidate a pool of capital to invest in a startup, and special purpose vehicles have been used in the past by companies to hide financial losses. Understanding the special purpose vehicles. So a parent company, which could be a holding company, creates a special purpose vehicle. Your parent company, your parent just so happens to be United States Corporation, Federal Corporation. Your guardian, your parent company, same thing. So your parent company creates a special purpose vehicle. This could be a regular sole prop like they do. They turn your name into a private sole proprietorship, a private business within their jurisdiction. If you're holding their documents, you're a shareholder. And your rights will be given to you. So a parent company creates this special purpose vehicle to isolate and then securitize assets within a separate company that is often kept off the balance sheet. It may be created in order to undertake a, a, a project while protecting the parent company from the most severe risk of its failure. In other cases, the special purpose vehicle may be created solely to securitize debt so that investors can be assured of repayment. In any case, the operations of the special purpose vehicle are limited to the acquisition and financing of specific assets. And the separate company structure serves as a method of isolating the risk of these activities. A special purpose vehicle may serve as a counterparty for swaps and other credit-sensitive derivative instruments. A company may form a special purpose vehicle as a limited partnership. They may form it as a trust. They may form it as a, co a corporation. They may form it as a limited liability company, among other options. It may be designed for independent ownership, management, and funding. In any case, special purpose vehicles help Companies securitize assets, create joint ventures, isolate corporate assets, and perform financial transactions. In venture capitalism, special purpose vehicles are used by a group of investors to pool their assets in order to launch a new business or invest in a startup company. Special purpose vehicles typically make just one investment to a business, whereas an investment fund would make multiple investments over a period of time. So... The United States is bankrupt. So they turn your name into a subsidiary company. The United States is considered a, 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 the 
the parent company that's bankrupt and you're considered a subsidiary company that is formed to undertake any specific business purpose. That's why I asked you, do you understand your charge? It might be an activity. It might be a business purpose. Um, your name is being commonly utilized in certain structured financial applications as an asset to securitize joint ventures, property deals, isolate the parent company's assets, and they just use your labor to gain these assets. They're using access to the Social Security Trust Fund that was set up for your name, all right? They're using that, and they're claiming it as theirs. You're the trustee. You just get to hold the property, but they get the beneficial interest. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what's going on with your name. That is the breakdown. That is the breakdown from really, you know, I broke it down pretty quick. From A to Z. That's the simplified version, you know. For people that's really not new to this, you know, if you're new to this, you're going to have to do a little bit more research. But those are the key things to get you started. Understanding holding companies. Understanding how to hold assets truthfully. You know, um, in the public, because that's how you utilize. They only understand the public. The private sector owns the public sector. You know, so the, the private sector owns the public sector. But in the public sector, you're going to need pass-through entities. So look into those five charging order protection states. Alaska, South Dakota, Wyoming, Delaware, and Nevada. Those are five charging order protection states. So no matter what, if you got business... And a holding company in those states and you're, you're holding assets. There's ways to set things up, though, you know. But you're going to want to hold things and um, in holding companies. Make a trust the beneficial owner of that holding company. You know, a lot of people do their trust wrong, too. So I'm just going to break this down quickly. You want to holler at me, talk to me about it. We can break it all down. But instead of making your kids a beneficiary, because they're going to be a beneficiary tax involved on the trust, you're going to want to put your kids as a successor, you know. And we're only operating within the family when it comes to anybody trying to talk to us and getting us audited or anything like that. It's a family trust. They're going to be like, who created the trust? The family. Because when y'all trying to attack, keep talking about the Social Security trust that you're trying to um, say the government owes, you didn't create the trust, so it's never set up in the best interest of you. Trust me, they're not going to set anything up in the best interest for you. There's not a religious book. There's not a, a history book out there in any school. There's not a religious book in any government or or, or any any uh, church that said that the government was for the people. There's no book in history that said the government was ever for the people. So don't ever think they're going to create something for you that's going to benefit you at the end of the day. You can only control what you create. So you got to learn how to create your own things. You know, when it comes to the public banking system, you're going to have to create your own private contracts before moving in. And dealing with government, or because public banks are owned all owned by the government, you have to understand this. Public banks are owned by the government. Google this. Public banks are owned by the government, so you have to create your own private documents because the government can't interfere with a private contract. So you got to have your own operating agreements if you're going to open up a business. You know, uh, a business account. You're going to need your own constitution, bylaws. Things of this nature, man. Tap in with your boy Don Kalam. Book a consult on the OnlyFans. OnlyFans.com slash Don Kalam. D-O-N-K-I-L-A-M. February 1st, I have animated courses going over status correction. That's going to be releasing to the public. But you're going to want to get that deal on the OnlyFans. 
So I just want to tap in and tune in with everybody just to drop some game. Y'all, y'all know how I get down. I appreciate the support. Everybody that's been rocking with me since day one. I will be in Orlando, Florida, March 23rd. I got special guests coming through. You never know who's going to show up, but you want to be there. You know, much peace and love. I just need everybody to remember that prosperity is your divine birthright. Make sure you hit like. You subscribe to this. Keep um, stay, stay tuned. I got a lot of great things in store for 2024 for everybody that's rocking with me. And I can't wait to reveal everything that I have under works and everybody that I'm truly connected and working with. This is a dream come true to do this. So I appreciate everybody for making my dreams come true. Much peace and love. Are you ready to unlock the secrets of commerce and build an empire that lasts for generations? Look no further. Introducing Million Dollars Worth of Game by Don Kalam, your official guide to the private and public side of commerce. In this groundbreaking book, Don Kalam reveals the strategies and insider knowledge you need to create and protect your wealth. Learn how to navigate the intricate world of commerce, master the art of building an empire, and secure a lasting legacy for your family. Get your hands on Million Dollars Worth of Game today and embark on a transformative journey toward financial abundance. Don't miss out on the opportunity to build your empire and secure a prosperous future for generations to come. Get ready to conquer the world of commerce. Million Dollars Worth of Game by Don Kalam, your ultimate guide to building an empire and leaving a legacy. Million Dollars Worth of Game by Don Kalam. Available now. Get your copy and start your journey to generational wealth.